I never had any sense of that um, until I got into school and saw that my friends' parents could come pick them up from sports activities and, and they were there and things like that. And um, on holidays, uh, they weren't at the family store like I was working all those hours. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that's unapologetically you, and then go get it. If you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. This is Scott Anthony Barlow, and you are listening to Happen to Your Career, the show that helps you figure out what work fits you by exploring other stories. Now, we get to bring on experts like Maxie McCoy, who helps people build self-belief and confidence, or people that have pretty amazing stories, like Sarah Hawkins, who realized she was a multi-potentialite and needed to accept who she was at her core. And these are people just like you. They've gone from where they are to what they really want to be doing. Today's guest is Melody Wilding. You know, that elevator pitch has certainly been a work in progress over time, which I think is a good sign because it means, you know, we're all evolving all the time and we get a little bit better at describing what we do. Um, And I'm still working to hit that sweet spot. But um, in short, uh, I am a coach and a licensed social worker and I love what makes me come alive the most is really working with ambitious, high achieving individuals, really helping them manage the emotional and the psychological aspects of having a successful career. It was stopping me from making that career change. I was paralyzed into my situation. Meet Caesar. He was getting frustrated trying to figure out the right career on his own. The fact that I was applying through a whole bunch of job boards and getting no responses uh, was very frustrating to me. Take a listen for Caesar's story later on in the episode to learn how he finally figured out what fits him. I transitioned into another career completely different to what I did in an industry that I'm passionate about. This was a fun conversation with Melody because we got to talk about how to identify emotional versus physical burnout. And then more importantly than that, the steps to actually take remedy to to do something about that, that burnout. And then how to have difficult conversations to establish boundaries and gain control over your life. This is possibly one of the most valuable skill sets that you can ever have. Listen for it. A little bit later in the episode, about about two uh, about a, just just under half of the way through, and then also learning the the three emotional triggers to know where your boundaries need to be repaired and how to identify them in the first place. This was really interesting to learn from Melody because she's got such a specific background, both in careers and with therapy and she really specializes in the in the combination between the two and the types of people that need that help. So take a listen for all that and plenty more coming up. I think something that has been interesting to see is that recently definitely in the past 
two years or so, we actually are starting to see this change in a very good way towards companies, towards more traditional executive coaches and leadership experts really starting to talk about well-being, psychological and emotional well-being at work. And I think that's because my story is certainly one of burnout and misalignment with my career over time that led to me to make some of these major shifts and see how some of these factors that we may talk about in the counseling room around self-worth and our identity and boundaries and relationships, how all of that does manifest at work because the fact is we spend, what is it, 70 or 80% of our time daily on our careers, if that is going into an office or working on our businesses. It's such a huge part of our lives now. And I don't think that's something to be shamed. I think we're starting to see out there this kind of shaming of the hustle and don't work so hard and take care of yourself. Those are all very positive messages. But personally, I've been really driven by that value and that strength of ambition and discipline. And we can get into my story because I think that was a huge blueprint for how I've come to approach the world in this way. So I'm happy to share that. Yeah, where does this type of interest begin from, particularly the pieces around both ambition and the psychological aspects? Because I'm guessing, guessing, I might be wrong, I don't know, necessarily roll out of the womb, like, yes. That's right. How did that happen? A little bit, actually. Well, I think I'm a natural empath, and hopefully a lot of others might identify with just being someone who senses the world differently. I was always that person who could pick up on dynamics that were happening around me without people having to say anything. You can call it intuition. You can call it gut feelings, whatever you'd like. But I am a very high empath. But I think where it really stems from is that I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. So when I was younger, my parents owned a series of their own businesses. It's actually how I got my name. They were involved in the music business. Ah. Yeah. So it all starts to come together in that way, right? Yeah. And so I think that was really the blueprint of how I came to approach life and work through that lens. When you grow up in a family of entrepreneurs, until I was about school age, probably about your children's age, I didn't realize that people went to an office to go to work and then came home at five o'clock. And it was sort of like, okay, honey, home from work, drop off the briefcase. I never had any sense of that until I got into school and saw that my friends' parents could come pick them up from sports activities and they were there and things like that. And on holidays, they weren't at the family store like I was working all those hours. So the plus side of that was I had amazing models for work ethic and what it meant to build a business and build a company that was truly meaningful to you and successful and to really do things that personally mattered to my parents did that because they really cared about their business. And they are two people who even now in retirement, they choose to work to volunteer. And so having that sort of modeling growing up, I think I just naturally loved sort of working. 
the downside to that at the same time was I was very attuned to how enmeshed our lives, our relationship as a family was with the business, the sacrifices that came with that. Like I mentioned, you know, during holidays, you are working until all hours of the night. I understood that my family couldn't always be there at important events for me, which might sound sad, but to me, I understood. I knew what they were doing and I respected that and I admired them for that because I knew at the end of the day what they were working towards was a better life for us as a family. And they were truly showing me, I think, that a different option, a different way of doing things that didn't have to be what everybody else around them or around me was doing. So this is so fascinating for a variety of different reasons, partially because this is where my head is at right now. In terms of you're talking about, hey, as I was growing up, here's my impression of the world. And you and I were talking about my kids' ages and everything a little yeah. bit earlier. But I'm very, very conscious of that and trying, my wife and I discuss that a lot about what type of world are we creating for our kids? Well, I, part of how we got to this business actually that we run currently was because I wanted to be involved in some mm -hmm. of those little things on an ongoing basis too. And I was very fortunate when I worked in the corporate world to be able to participate in a lot of the big things like you're talking about school plays or the whatever it might be, you know, soccer matches, things along those lines. But ironically, I have found too that entrepreneurship can enable other areas too. But it's this interesting combination of what you just mentioned in terms of growing up and having that representation of being able to do things and focus on things that really personally matter to you mm -hmm. and, and clearly matter to your parent. So I'm curious, then, after you got to experience that growing up, how did that begin to shape as you moved into college, mm -hmm. as you moved into some of those other areas of life? What happened from there? Sure. And just to kind of put a bow on the way, you know, I think entrepreneurship and coming from that background really can shape you is that... Personally, I really think that it brought me that much closer to my parents because we were such a tight knit team. And what entrepreneurship teaches you is that you can deal with uncertainty and you can deal with conflict. And that's really the essence of how you gain confidence, gain resiliency. And I can see now that framework, that lens that I come from of saying, you know what, if something isn't working out in my career, I know I can get through this. I trust that I'm a resourceful person. I can make something work. I'm starting to see now how other people in my life, friends, colleagues who maybe didn't have that background, don't trust themselves in that same way. So I see it as a tremendous gift. But to your question, how it really began to shape me was that I saw firsthand this intersection of psychology and work and life and just saw how intertwined all of this was together, that if things weren't going so great, it could bring up conflict at home. We say life affects work and work affects life. And sometimes you bring things to work and you may act out anger at work or frustrations in certain ways. So I just became so curious and fascinated by human behavior in general. Why do we make the choices we do? Why do we do the things we do? Just a really curious people person in that way 
which drove me into psychology. I studied how we form memories, how do we form interpretations about ourselves and our lives, and more importantly, what meaning do we take or make from those things? And I think that pervades so many areas of our life about how are you choosing to define what this situation is going to mean for you or how you will let it shape you and who you'll become from it. For career changers, such a huge thing. I followed that path all through school. I worked in a research lab, ran a research lab for many years, then decided that the empath in me wanted to be dealing a little more with people on a direct basis. And, you know, they say that you teach what you most need to know. And so I think that for me, just being a naturally ambitious type person coming from that background where I was your typical overachiever, someone who always had to be the straight A student, a little bit of a perfectionist. I'm definitely very type A. So that sort of achievement mindset followed me into school. And as I began to get into my career, you know, the first few years there, I saw how the flip side of that strength started to come out in terms of I had really outsourced a lot of my self-esteem and my validation and my self-worth to what I was able to accomplish. Did people approve of me? Did I do a good job? And I just saw how wrapped up in that I became. But within that process, also lost a little bit of my autonomy, the freedom and that independence that I so valued that I had growing up and that my parents had created and that really personally I needed to function. I kept putting myself in these situations where that was sort of stifled out of me. (laughs) and had to go through this very difficult process of learning my own boundaries, learning my own strengths and qualities and what I really wanted out of my life and my career and sort of reverse engineering that into the business and the life I have today. So, Melody, do you remember what event or set of events caused you to begin to realize that? Absolutely. I can tell you the moment sticks in my mind and I can still feel the misery of it. Let me take you back there. I see this with my clients as well, that if you are someone who is a bit of a rule follower, a successful person, we're brought up in these systems and we're kind of taught that if you do the right things, if you do good in school, if you pick the right major, If you follow all these steps, then you'll be a success and you'll be happy. And the world doesn't really work like that. (laughs) So (laughs) weird, (laughs) right? You know, it's like this big insight that all of a sudden hits you. But I felt like I had done everything right. I ticked all the boxes. So I had gone to school, you know, I got my undergrad degree, graduated top of my class, got my master's was ready to go out there and conquer the world. And this was right after the recession, sort of right in the recovery process. So the job market wasn't great. And my salary was less than I could live on and commute to the city on. So I was commuting back and forth to New York City, two hours each day to a job that was not a fit for me at all. It was a small little environment in a room with three other people. There was not a lot of autonomy, but I had intellectualized it away 
that instead of listening to what I knew about myself, that I need a high degree of being self-directed in my work. And I'm the type of person where if you tell me to do something, just give me a high level what you need and I'll take the ball and run with it and make it happen. Yeah. I'm sure you can relate to that. We like to make um, things happen around. Right. Well, hence the name. Makes sense <laughs> now. But I had this moment one day when I was on the bus commuting back and forth from New York City and I always had had, you know, this entrepreneurial bug, as I like to call it, it was always deep within me. And I was listening to podcasts and kind of taking in all this information about how to be your own boss and create a life with more freedom and do your own thing. And here I was literally trapped on this bus between two gigantic men. And I'm this smaller woman kind of in between with the podcast in my ears. And I was taking in all of this information and doing absolutely nothing with it. I sort of sat there in that moment. I was so tired. I was so miserable. I was getting up every morning at four o'clock to get into the city on time with the traffic. And I was just giving my life and my time and my power and energy away. And I just sort of sat there and I was so burned out physically, mentally, emotionally. I was so hair trigger event could set me off like one piece of bad feedback one surprising email I wasn't expecting. I was just so low that anything could kind of send me into that tailspin. And just sitting there on that bus, it was literally the perfect encapsulating moment of feeling trapped in that way. And that was my <laughs> light bulb moment of saying, this is not who I am. And this something that person deep down that kid who was so ambitious and filled with hope and positivity and just being so excited about the world and everything ahead of me sort of spoke up and said, this is no longer acceptable. And you have to start making some changes here. And so I did, you know, I really had to look at all the ways I had let my identity and my power and my self worth become so wrapped up in somebody else approving of me, my boss, you know, sending someone my work, I had become so dependent on my work to make me feel good that I was sacrificing everything else. I was sacrificing my friendships and my relationships and my body. And that was sort of that moment where I realized, you know, I had to make some changes there. So what were some of the first things that you did then? That realization, and that is rather powerful. Mm -hmm. But what happened next? What were some of the first steps that you took once you had those realizations. Yeah. So at the time I was one of those people who walked in and did quit my job. It was not a fit for me. And that was very difficult because I really prided myself on being that person who never gave up on anything. And it's a little bit of that people pleaser tendency, Yeah. which I think a lot of people contend with is that you may feel desperate for work or income so much so that you'll sacrifice your priorities or your values and take a job that might not be the greatest fit for your personality or the vision you have for yourself. And then you get yourself in this situation where you're like, why did I agree to this? Oh gosh. And it's hard to get out of. So I really had to take a cold, hard look at what I needed to start saying no to. And other things had to start saying yes to. And so for me, that was leaving a role that wasn't quite 
the right fit for me. Was that that same job that you were just talking about with the three other people cooped up, not a lot of autonomy? Yeah, yeah. I'm super curious, and I think other people might be too. Was that your reality? I mean, at that point in time, did you have a healthy amount of cash stocked away? Or was it, look, hey, I'm realizing that this is more important and I will figure out the other pieces in order to be respectful to myself. What was the context surrounding that? I laugh a little bit because at the time I had an exorbitant amount of student loans facing me down. Yeah. So it was a little scary and I did not have your typical six months emergency fund in the bank. I had some, but what I did do that was smart is I did have enough living income on the side with some of the clients I was working with at the time and building my business in the early phases that I was okay to make that shift. And that's where as soon as I realized what I needed to start saying no to and start to look at what was working better for me. So working with clients, doing writing, coaching, that was where it all started to click to sort of double down on the things that were giving me energy that I enjoyed doing that fit my sort of vision that I had for myself, which that was a work in progress too, because I think this goes back to the entrepreneurial thing of, I felt like I never fit into any box really nicely. Uh I wasn't the person who knew that I wanted to be a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer. I was always kind of that multi-passionate person who wanted to do a little bit of everything. And again, the flip side of that is that you never quite fit into one box. It's hard to describe yourself sometimes, but that ended up being my best career security because I could be diversified. So I wasn't completely dependent on one income stream or one area, one aspect of my career to give me everything I needed. And that clearly made it much more doable for you as well. There's always seems to be a couple of different pieces to that when making those big life decisions. I don't know how you think about this, but I'm super curious about your opinion on it too. But it always seems like there is the perception of it, which often can be driven to decision through fear or our mind manifesting different alternate possibilities of what will happen. And then there's the reality of it, which actually makes things easier or more difficult, whatever that decision is as well. Mm -hmm. But what was that part like for you? Well, I think you bring up a good point that change happens in stages. And what we actually know from a lot of the research and the understanding of how we approach change is that you do go through these various stages of pre-contemplation, contemplation, and then eventually you get to that action stage. So it is sort of this evolution of getting to that point where you can say, okay, now I'm ready to take action on this. But throughout that, you kind of have to put different pieces in place, both logistically, you know, financially, making sure you're secure with health insurance moves you're going to make, but then psychologically as well. So the mindset piece, I work with a lot of clients who come to me really at the point of burnout, realizing that they can't go on where they are, they have to make some sort of a change. And it can be very freeing to say, okay, I'm going to leave this job. I'm finally going to take action on all these things I've said I've wanted to do with my career. But it's really important to anticipate that that's not going to be this big magic bullet right from the outset. 
and for me especially, so much self-doubt comes up, so much imposter syndrome of who am I to think that I deserve something better or to leave this behind, to say no. The self-doubt of how am I going to make it? Am I going to be able to make a sustainable living off of this? And so knowing and anticipating that anytime you take that big leap or walk into uncertainty, that all of those fears are going to come raging to the surface. I'd love to encourage my clients that if you can expect it and learn to roll with them and see it as a sign that you are growing and that's why those things are flaring up right now. And this is just another opportunity really to prove to yourself that you can do this and that in itself will be so tremendously valuable no matter what the outcome is. But going through this process, again, you develop that resiliency that that is that core sense of self-trust that no matter what happens to you, you'll be able to get through it. Interesting. I'm really interested in your experience with working with clients, mm-hmm. particularly around how people are, one, not just making those decisions, but also thinking about moving into new life situations. Mm-hmm how they're taking those areas where they realize that, hey, I am not respecting myself Mm -hmm. and how they're turning those into boundaries or how they're drawing those lines in the sand to be able to do so moving forward. Mm -hmm. And that's something I'm fascinated by, but I know it's also a big part of your world. And I'm curious, one, what needs to be in place for that to begin to happen? Yeah, it's a great and a huge question. (laughs) It's so personalized for so many people. But I think what this comes down to, I mentioned to you before we started rolling that I see the world so much through the lens of boundaries. And what I mean by boundaries is the rules and limits and practices that we set up and approach the world from. So in terms of what needs to be in place whenever you're thinking about that career change, again, I see people who come to me just at this point of being completely depleted, so burned out that, again, they know they need to change, but they physically or mentally or emotionally don't have the energy to do that. I think it's important to realize that if you find yourself at that stage to kind of ask, is this a physical burnout? Is this something that could be cured with some sleep, a vacation if you haven't taken one in many years? More often than not, it is some sort of a emotional burnout where usually that happens because of leaky boundaries, what we call them, or enmeshment, which is what I was mentioning before, where we let other people steamroll our needs, our desires, our self-respect. We don't communicate those things. We're not assertive at work. We don't speak up when we feel like something's not our responsibility. We don't push back in that way out of fear of rejection or worst case scenario thinking of I'm going to be fired and I'll be broke on the street or imposter syndrome. Who am I to think that I could speak up or deserve to express my opinion, for example, and all of that. So I tell my clients to look for areas where they have felt three different emotions that can be sort of triggers to look at where you need to repair those boundaries 
And this is particularly important for career change because if you don't do this work up front in identifying these areas and plugging them up, you're just going to recreate that in your next job, whether that is running your business or if you do choose to go full time, you're just going to recreate a lot of those dynamics again. Like let's say if you are an entrepreneur and you are a people pleaser, say you have some boundaries around agreeing too much and taking on too much. Well, guess what? You're going to be working 13 hour days and take on clients who are not the best fit for you or If you do go full-time again, you might find a boss who expects you to be a workaholic just as much as they are. So (laughs) those three emotions I always tell people to look for are resentment, guilt, and anger. And start to think about where those three things come up for you in different situations with certain people or certain aspects of your work. And those are three sort of very good compasses emotional compasses to look for where you might have some boundary issues that need to be taken care of. I was burned out. You know, I realized that I was actually following the wrong things, the wrong intentions. I wanted out. Caesar was transitioning from the law industry to a completely different field. When I realized that I wanted to change and I tried to do the process myself, you know, the fact that I was applying through a whole bunch of job boards and getting no responses uh, was very frustrating to me. To get that one interview, I blew it because I wasn't prepared. He turned to HTYC's Career Change Bootcamp to get over the frustration and take the right first step. It helped me first and foremost to get over my mental barriers. It helped me confirm the strengths that I may have known before, but it was great to just come to that assurance that these are my strengths and I need to continue a path where I can utilize my strengths to the full potential. Caesar took the things he learned out of the boot camp to take action and be noticed for what he was great at. It helped me thinking of ideas that I can do to be able to establish and enhance those relationships and stand out. Congratulations to Caesar on finding work that he loves. If you also want to find that fulfilling career that lights you up and gives you purpose, find out how Career Change Bootcamp can help you do this step by step to not just understand what it is, but also actually make the transition. All you have to do is go to happen to your career. There is a process and Scott has the career change experience. and He's going to give you a lot of great insights on how that works. So once I find and realize, hey, I have a bit of resentment here that keeps popping up and yep. or I find that I'm actually experiencing some guilt in this area, what do I do from there? Or maybe what's an example of where somebody that you have worked with has seen a bit of that and how do they or how did they work through it? What do they do next with that? That's a great question. Yeah. And I think this comes out to really looking at Instead of knocking yourself and beating yourself up for saying, I should have done this, I should have done that. I hear a lot of that of people staying in this frame of, yeah, I need to get better at pushing back when my boss tells me to do something and I don't want to do it. Reframing it to see it as an opportunity for where can you start to 
be more assertive and, as you put it, happen to your career, make those things a reality, enforce those limits in places where you need. So what does that actually look like? So let's say you are running your own business. That might look like really defining what types of clients you work with and you don't. Who is that ideal client to you? I also like to say if you try to be everything, you end up being nothing. And that's where boundaries and defining your limits of what type of people do you work with? What do you charge? And saying no to those clients who might not be the best fit. Because if you do say yes, they're going to be a drain on your energy. You're going to be resentful. So it's only to your benefit and it only helps you do your best work when you define that. Throw in a quick comment on that too, because I personally have found that decision to be one of the hardest and most valuable decisions that I've made within my business, but also looking at it as entrepreneur versus employee, but looking at it as being in control of your life and the people that you work with, because that is the thing that crosses over regardless of whether I'm working with somebody else that is paying me a paycheck or whether I'm creating my own paycheck, whatever way you want to look at that. Mm-hmm. Deciding who you're going to bring into your life or not just has been ridiculously both profitable and made me a happier person. We've turned down well over $100,000 in business, just that I can think of and recall wow. pretty easily from saying no to people we either weren't the right fit for or that we're you know, more than willing mm-hmm. to, you know, like, debit card in hand and move forward and everything like that. But we've found that we have a lot more fun. And Mm -hmm. at the same time, saying yes to one of those people takes up a space compared to somebody else that inevitably always comes along that is a great fit that we have a ton Mm -hmm. of fun working with. And I don't know, it's been a ridiculous amount of help in our business. And even before that too, can attest to working around the right people or with the right people, even Mm -hmm. when I wasn't in a business was possibly, I would say one of the best sets of decisions. I don't know, in the last 12 years, I would say. So that's incredibly powerful. Yeah. Validate everything that you've said by a long shot. Yeah. And it's tough because today there's something that I call opportunity FOMO and it's very real. (laughs) And it's this sense that there's always something more to be doing. There's always another opportunity or a networking event or another client you could work with. And like you said, having that self-respect, frankly, and understanding, really being frank with yourself. I think it takes a lot of radical honesty and self-awareness to say that this is who I am, this is who we work with, and this is who we don't. And being able to say no, it's not an easy task. It's been very profitable for us, even though it's counterintuitively so, but also at the same time, it makes, oh my goodness, it's made our world so much more fun and for, and I believe the world of those we get to work with much more fun too. Yeah. So this brings up, just going back to what I was talking about earlier, especially for people who are empaths or more on the sensitive scale This idea that you alluded to, I think, of watching what brings you energy versus what takes it away and being very protective of that to preserve it. Because if you don't, the world will steamroll, (laughs) will steamroll everything. And the biggest example that I use for this is, 
your inbox. Just look at your inbox and you're bombarded with other people's agendas and other people trying to get your intention. And unless you protect that, it's all bets are off then. So I think, again, that's one of the biggest parts to finding meaning and happiness and work. I truly believe I come from that place of having that sense of personal agency and choice is so important and so rewarding, as you mentioned. So instead of the phrase, there's a bunch of cliched phrases that are similar, but one that jumps to mind is happy wife, happy life. Instead of happy wife, happy <laughs> life, happy inbox, happy life, or indicator at least. That's so interesting. So I remember being very ruled by my inbox. If we were to go back about eight, 10 years ago, something along those lines and feeling the need to respond to people right away versus if yeah. I fast forward a few years later, working on training my coworkers to not expect a response in, in you know, mm. two hours or something else along those lines. And then ultimately, quite frankly, shifting from the mentality of inbox zero to I'm only going to focus on what's most important in the inbox. That I think is along the lines of what you're talking about. That was a major happiness shift for me in my life. But I'm curious, what else do you mean by that? Yeah. So I like to say that you teach people how to treat you and you teach people how to treat you through your boundaries and action. And that's exactly what you did by saying, this is how I'm going to set rules and limits with my inbox. And you communicated your needs and what would be happening with everybody around you in a very respectful, but straightforward way and not tentatively. So that's something I see as well, where I'll have clients who, let's say, have some degree of flexibility in their role and they want to step out to go to a doctor's appointment or take a fitness class during the day. And there's a lot of that internal crisis moment that is self-generated around, oh my gosh, what are people going to think of me? How can I leave my inbox for that long? People expect me to get back to them that quickly. And that's because we've set up that dynamic. And it's up to us a lot of times. I really like to encourage people to see what power, and again, this word agency what level of that do you have in this process? So for example, I worked with one client who she just had people grabbing time, grabbing time in her calendar. Or of course, there's the always popping into your office. You know, people are always popping in or pinging you on Slack or something, let's say. And it's up to us to manage those inputs and to put in place some of those rules around, you know, I'll be available between these hours of the day if you have a question, come find me then. We can talk about it. Being open and welcoming to other people, but also expressing what you need, frankly, to get your work and feel happy in doing that. And I don't think another people take ownership like you did over the fact that that's okay and communicating that in a way that is self-respectful but assertive. They'll say, you know, maybe do you think that you could not schedule meetings at that time because... I don't know, I would just really appreciate it rather than saying, you know, punting the ball forward, I like to put it, of saying, I'm only available Mondays and Wednesdays, or let's say for me, I'll say, I take calls on these days. Here are some times on those days I have open, find whatever works best for you. It's very proactive, it's very friendly, but instead of focusing on a deficit of, I'm not available, then blah, 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 you're just focusing on the next positive step. 
And that's an example of, I think, on a very small scale, a boundary in action. You know what I think has been the best training on boundaries for me in my entire life was when I used to work for Target. I worked in HR and you know wasn't anywhere near the customer service desk, but many positions at Target, like you'll go and you'll train everywhere to really get an idea of what people are experiencing and everything. Like working the customer service returns desk and mm -hmm. being forced to say no to people without actually saying no and turning a terrible potential experience into a really positive experience possibly was one of the most useful things in creating boundaries in every other aspect of my life, as weird as that is to say. I'm so curious to hear what worked. I think you've got a ton of experience on this, so I'm really curious on what you've seen working with your clients as well, and even in your own life. But when I think back to all the times where I've had to draw the line, if you will, and create boundaries and do so in a way that allowed people to feel maybe not perfect, but good and improve a relationship or grow a relationship rather than tear it apart with those types mm -hmm. of interactions, then it's always been about how to communicate my needs and my, I'm going to call it agenda for lack of a better word, without stomping on theirs and crushing it up and throwing it back in their face. And in doing so, I find that it has been a lot about saying no without actually ever saying no. <laughs> does that make sense? It does. It does. And yeah, I think there's this misconception that boundaries have to be a very mean thing. And I always like to say that no is a full sentence. You can just say no. And I think that's particularly important for people who, like myself, tend to be a bit of a people pleaser, overachiever, you want to explain every possible reason and justification around why this makes sense and why you're doing it. But you know what, you can just say no, or not right now. And that's fine. <laughs> but like you said, too, it really comes down to clarity. And also trying to understand, especially in a customer service environment, trying to tune in, use that strength and empathy and sensitivity that I think you have as well to understand people and their needs to say, what does this person really want out of this interaction? And how could we mutually beneficial way find a solution that's going to work for most people? So coming at it from more of that collaborative stance rather than a defensive one, where I know I use the word self-protection, which it's important to protect your own energy in that interaction, but that doesn't mean you have to be mean about it <laughs> or defensive about it. You just have to be attuned to your limits and try to find that middle ground of not sacrificing yourself. And this is important too, not being cold and completely turning yourself off to other people because there is such thing as healthy dependence. And, you know, I would actually love to hear from you, I talk a lot about also communicating with the people in your life, especially when you're an entrepreneur, life and work mix so strongly. But even for people, everybody is busy today. And again, I think it's a wonderful, beautiful thing to take a lot of pride and find a lot of meaning and joy in your work. But that doesn't mean that everything is sunshine and rainbows all the time. Things get busy. You might have to say no to 
your spouse or your friends or say that you can't do something. And that sort of communication, open and ongoing communication about that is another sort of way of exercising those healthy boundaries. So I would love to hear from you too, (laughs) anecdotally, if you have any insights about that. You know, I was thinking about sort of running quickly over my past and track record and everything (laughs) like that as you were talking about that. And I sort of feel like, not sort of, I very much feel like that Alyssa and I, Alyssa, my wife, Alyssa, Mm -hmm. we've been through a couple of businesses together and actually interesting that I say been through now that that's out of my mouth because it really is that type of experience. And I think that people have worked in or around other businesses may understand that terminology, but it has very much been a integrated life experience for lack of Mm -hmm. a better phrase. And along with that, neither of us have been very good at boundaries, I would say, until fairly recently, like in the last year or two, where we've gotten to the point where we both feel very comfortable with being able to say, hey, I need an extra two hours because this is an important project and this is going to impact the business in this particular way. And that means I'm not going to be available until you know 7 p.m. tonight. And then being comfortable with that. Because I think we've had the discussion many times over where we have both wanted, as spouses, we both want the best thing for the other person. So we're both willing to bend over backwards in those cases. But many mm-hmm. times we would sabotage those efforts, if you will. Like I would think in my mind, well, crap, I'm not being available to her or you know my kids during that time. Mm. I just got to push harder during this time and then it wouldn't work. And then I would still need the two hours or whatever versus just as soon as I know it, being very clear and upfront and communicating, hey, this is something mm-hmm. that's actually really legitimately important. And as it turns out, like that's all either of us want from each other mm. is that type of communication and that respect that goes along with it to be that blatantly upfront, even though it's hard, even though mm. our minds want to stop us from communicating that and I don't know, put all kinds of other fears in us. And I feel like it's only been really recently where we've gotten much, much more comfortable with that. Yeah, I think you bring up a really important point that other people around you, whether it's your partner or your boss or your clients, they can't read your mind. (laughs) Weird. Yeah, right. (laughs) But we forget it because we get so caught up in this internal drama that happens. Like you were saying, we escalate our own expectations of ourselves and let that sort of trip us up instead of doing what you did, which was cut right to the chase and talk about it, let it out instead of letting it become this sort of monster in your head and it gains this life of its own. So I love that lesson. And it's a work in progress too. As your needs and your priorities change, so do the types of boundaries and balance that you're going to need. So having that baseline, though, of understanding is so important. Here's an interesting, okay, so bringing this back around to what you talked about in those feelings to look for and those areas of your life, that was definitely a place where I was experienced, particularly because I was often the one needing a little bit more time to work or whatever it might be, but that was the place where I was experiencing guilt. And in vice versa, that was a place where Alyssa was experiencing resentment. Mm-hmm. because I wouldn't clearly communicate and that's what she would want. And yeah. those are, I think, perfect examples of where 
those feelings would crop up and we ignored it. I mean, there were many years there where we would just sort of either ignore that or tolerate through or whatever else. And certainly I would say that that was neither fun nor healthy. Yeah. And that importance too, of this has come up in my own relationship and we've worked on it. And my boyfriend, actually, he's one of those people who he habitually underestimated the amount of time things would take. (laughs) Yeah. I like this guy already. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Here are a lot of similarities, but I had to realize to check my reaction, to own my sort of reaction and realize that it was coming from a place of me feeling like I wasn't good enough or valuable enough for him to be paying attention to it would sort of feed into my insecurities in that way. But it came down to a really practical matter of sometimes all it takes is just adding, if you know you have that tendency to overschedule yourself, add some buffer time onto each task, make it 20 minutes longer than you think it's actually going to take you. If you tend to estimate a real a little unrealistically And like you said, communicate early and often. I cannot emphasize that enough of if you let someone know, it's so much better. And this is like core tenant of boundaries is to enforce them in the moment to say that something is not okay with me, or I wanted to bring it up and talk about this now, rather than letting it stew, because that's where it turns into this bigger, messier problem. But knowing your own triggers, being able to spot that, so important. So what's an example of somebody that you've worked with, or maybe even in your own life, where they've been able to successfully navigate boundaries and they had to have one or more of those conversations to be able to do so in that particular area, whatever it was? What did that look like? What did that sound like? What was the situation? I think really one that may be helpful for the audience is I've worked with a lot of clients who find themselves at a career crossroads where they might like their job, but it's just kind of, eh, you know, it's not, it's not really doing it for them. Again, they feel like they've taken all the right steps. They followed the progression they were supposed to, to get this good job that from the outside, it's a good salary. Everything is great about it, but they're still not happy. And this is where that process of really examining the environment they're in, the types of tasks that they're doing, and really going through this process of looking at energetically what gives them energy in their day, what takes it away. Again, it might be certain people, they might not be in the most positive office environment, and that may come down to being one of their top must-haves in their next role, is being in an environment where they can brainstorm with their team and be around other people And I've had clients like that who have worked maybe just as a solo individual contributor, just kind of at their desk, and there's not a lot of collaboration and creativity to their work. And once they start to realize that that is something that for them really gives them that restorative energy, it's what fills them up. And this goes back to kind of knowing yourself. If you're an empath and you need a space where you can recharge during the day, you can throw yourself into creative projects and just get that deep focus. And you're not in an environment where you're going to be in meetings that are draining you throughout the day. That's really important to know. And those are important boundaries. But you need to build that structure. And that sort of framework, you need to reverse engineer that into your next role. 
What's an example of one of those people that you worked with that had that situation? Yeah, so I actually worked with a client who she recently graduated, high achiever, ticked all the boxes, and she fell into doing administrative type marketing work. So she was working on marketing databases, and it was a great job. It paid very well, which she was someone who had student loans. So logically, it all made sense. But inside and to her, she was sort of wasting away there. She was feeling burned out. She was pretty depressed and unhappy with it. Yet she would beat herself up for that feeling like I should be happy here. It's not that bad. I can deal with this. And kind of going through this work and realizing, starting to look at what she would become, what she would feel guilty or resentful or annoyed about in her work and starting to see she really wanted to be in an environment where she could have direct mentoring, where she was working on creative projects and she had more input into the marketing strategy rather than just execution. That's very different. And so now she had to figure out and ruthlessly own and prioritize what was most important to her and what her own goals were. She hadn't really fully taken ownership of that either, that she ultimately wanted to go into pivot into a different field. She was working in something like this manufacturing or something like that and really wanted to work for more of a mission cause oriented organization. Not necessarily a nonprofit because she realized that the income cap, she wanted an organization where she could still have that upward advancement in terms of her salary, but really starting to get honest about all of that was very important to her. And then I have other clients, for example, who one right now I'm working with, and she's been in a very traditional corporate environment for many years. And she's starting to realize that she wants more of that flexibility in her life and that autonomy and self-direction over her work. And she's going through a very similar process I did of starting to figure out how she can run those small experiments on the side right now to verify, is this something I'm going to like? Am I actually going to enjoy running my own business? Or am I going to face some of the same things I don't like about it, invoicing and dealing with servicing clients? So we're testing that. But Yeah, I think it really comes down to self-awareness and understanding and knowing what your own priorities and goals are. Very cool. And I'm super curious about once people have identified these pieces in their lives that are really important to them, where they realize, hey, I'm experiencing guilt or experiencing resentment or experiencing a number of other things and recognize that to be something that they need, an area that they need to draw a boundary in. And then they recognize that they have to have a conversation there. We talked a little bit and started to delve into, you know, what does that conversation look like? But how do you advise people thinking about that piece of it and what that conversation can or should look like or building that out or anything else? I know it's not always the case where you're drawing boundaries and it results in different types of conversations, but it seems like and correct me if I'm wrong, some of the biggest ones often need to have a conversation. Or set me straight, what has been your experience? Yeah, well, it's a great question. I think it depends. I think some of it is internal work of realizing how you have to change yourself and 
especially when that comes down to your schedule or your space. So more of those physical logistical boundaries. Sometimes that comes down to being able to carve out that time in your schedule. If you are someone who needs that self-reflection or you do need to build in more self-care, again, no one can make that happen for you. You have to carve that time out yourself. So there's that piece. There is some of that internal or control that you have over it. But like you said, our lives are intertwined. There's going to be other people involved. I actually worked recently with a client who had this come up where she's an engineer and she was doing a lot of data analysis and it wasn't something she really enjoyed. And she just found herself every time she would open up documents or whatever it is, she would get so distracted because the frustration would just well up in her so much that she would get to a point of kind of throwing her hands up and saying, you know, screw this, I want to quit. I hate all of this. And we had to actually work pretty hard to regulate that back down, give her some strategies to work with those emotions when they came up, work with those thoughts. What was one of those strategies? So monitoring what the triggers were, monitoring her own inner dialogue, because she was actually beating herself up over the fact that she was letting it mean that because she didn't like this type of work, that she wasn't good enough. So she was trying to force herself. And like you mentioned, just kind of barrel through. If I work harder, as long as I'm good at everything, I'll be happy. And that's a false equivalence there. And so her kind of realizing that, and it took having a conversation with her manager to say, this is coming to the table with a plan, again, going back to those proactive strategies and punting the ball forward to say, this is what I'm working on right now, but I really enjoy doing this other type of work. And for her, it was dealing more directly with their clients and doing strategy and more project management type work than just sort of data crunching and analysis, which fed her very logical engineering side of her brain. But at the same time, she had this great coaching, building relationship strength as well that wasn't getting fed at all. And so it took really having a conversation with her manager, who then worked with her to readjust what her workload looked like, and give her those opportunities to get involved in projects. So everyone will have a different application in terms of what it ends up looking like. But there's a saying that goes, your life grows in proportion to the number of difficult conversations you're willing to have. <laughs> I love that saying. You're the only other person I've met that I've heard quote that too. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, I think Tim Ferriss has said it. So I want to give credit where credit is due. Also, that's such a confidence builder to realize that you can have this conversation with someone, you may build it up in your head about all of the bad things that they're going to say and what are they going to think about you and you'll be rejected and it won't go well. But then realizing that getting it out there is in itself such a sense of relief. But to also realize that on the other side, you'll be fine. You're not going to die. You'll get through it. And things will probably be better because you'll feel like you've gotten something off your chest. And no matter what, it will lead to a more productive conversation for yourself. That in itself can be very freeing for people. And I think you mentioned earlier that the biggest shift that happens and that I see with my clients over and over and over again is really this 
sense of feeling like you are in control and not in a desperate way where it's over control and perfectionism and trying to hold on tight to everything. But rather, it's that sense of calmness that you've got this rather than everything just sort of happening to you. I love that. I mean, that's part of how our company came to be is allowing people to take control in areas where they don't feel like they have any influence or control of their life. And I so appreciate that. And that's a wonderful example, by the way. Actually, that's several wonderful examples that grow. So I very much appreciate you sharing with that too. And I am so appreciative that you have given me some extra time today. And for those people that are listening, they're like, hey, we need more Melody. Where can they get more Melody? (laughs) They can find me at MelodyWilding.com. And on there, I have a free course that people can go through. And it touches on a lot of the points we talked about today, but mainly around managing some of these messy feelings of self-doubt that come up and how to become more confident, which goes back to a lot of the ideas about boundaries and being more assertive with your wants and your needs and your vision for yourself. So people can check that out too. Melody, I so very much appreciate the time and the extra time and all of the valuable insight and for you sharing your story. Thank you very, very much. Oh, it was my pleasure, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. If you want to draw a boundary and a line in the sand, well, then you have got to be able to decide what work fits you so that you can get on the right side of that line. If you don't know what that is, then I would suggest signing up for our eight-day figured-out mini-course to help you begin to get clear on what it is that you want in your new career. And I would go ahead and check that out. Easiest way to be able to do that is go to figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. Or you can just text HAPPEN, H-A-P-P-E-N, to 44222. That's H-A-P-P-E-N to 44222. And thank you so much, by the way, for even more of you going over to iTunes and Stitcher and leaving us ratings and reviews. It's pretty awesome to see. And here's another one. This one's from M. Wills, and it says, great guests, insightful questions. I listen to a wide variety of podcasts, and Scott's HDYC is up there with the shows I hate to miss or must catch up with. Scott and his team have a wide array of thought leaders on the show whose opinions are prodded and conveyed through the thoughtful questioning. And thank you for noticing. Appreciate it. Uh, a must listen for anyone who's looking to get something more out of their career and their life. Hey, really appreciate you taking the time to leave us that feedback. It means the world to us because it helps so many more people find the show and it ups our ratings in, in places like iTunes and Stitcher. So that means we get to get more people to work that they actually love, which is kind of the whole point as it turns out. All right, we've got even more in store for you coming up next Monday on Happen to Your Career. Take a listen. And within just a few months of being in that job, things just really weren't going well. I was just really struggling to feel like I was doing a good job at what I did. I was struggling to reconcile like what I wanted and what I hoped for with you know expectations of other people on staff at the church and parents and just a lot of politics and quickly found myself really feeling really depressed. I was in my early 20s, just married, and it became pretty clear like this isn't a good fit for me. 
but it was the only thing that I knew. All that, plenty more right here on Happened to Your Career. I will see you next week. Until then, I am out. Adios. Thank you.